the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Hour number two of the Bruce Hooley Show, and I am happy to welcome a friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, but I'm not welcoming him as a friend. I'm welcoming him as an expert and as a Fox News columnist. He is Dr. Roy Essig. He is a pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine physician, and he's penned a column on foxnews.com talking about a topic we discuss here on the show frequently, and that is the damage that is being done to our kids with gender-affirming care. So, Roy, thanks for coming on the show. And the headline of your column, you say, As a doctor and a dad, I'm ashamed by how horribly my field mistreats kids with gender-affirming therapies. Well, let's chat first about what the reception has been to this column uh, from your colleagues or from your acquaintances in the last day since it ran. Thanks for having me today, Bruce. I, I certainly appreciate it. So far, the response has been fairly positive. I've actually had several of my colleagues reach out to me to, to thank me for writing the article. I've not received a significant amount of negative response, although certainly I, I fully expect that to come at some point. But, uh, you know, I have a pretty strong feelings on this issue, both from a, a professional and from a personal standpoint. You know, professionally, what physicians advocate for and what they do in public is a reflection of the, on the medical community as a whole. And uh, to a large degree, it's a determinant of how we're trusted. And in medicine, trust is really the coin of the realm. And without it, the system really can't function. You know, from a personal standpoint, you know, as you know, and I put out my column, I'm a father. And you know, as a father, I have responsibility not only for the safety of my own children, but in a more general sense, you know, for the safety of other kids in my community. And, you know, if I'm driving down the street and I see a toddler who's wandered out in front of me in the intersection, I mean, my job is not to drive around him and to carry on my way. My job is to stop and, and help keep that, help keep that child safe. And, you know, and I view the situation as, as, as no different than that. I just want to start with the concept of gender-affirming care. I am obviously not a doctor, but I can't think of another tentacle of the medical profession where the diagnosis is made by the patient and the doctor accedes to what the patient says the condition is. That's my perception of gender-affirming care, uh, and I guess it stems from this supposed fear that for a doctor or for a physician to question what uh, a child claiming to be gender dysphoric says is to provide care that is not the optimum type of care. Can you discuss, am I wrong, is there another aspect of medicine where the patient makes the diagnosis and not the doctor after, you know, looking at the situation from all angles? Well, no, not not really. Um, You know, so it's important as a physician to to listen carefully to patients when they tell you about what's going on with them, particularly when they're telling you about, okay, this is how, this is how I feel, you know, and, and both with, with medical issues and with issues that are more, you know, psychological or psychiatric in nature, you know, it's important to listen to the patient telling you how they feel and, and, and 
validating not so much that those feelings necessarily are accurate, but they're there. Um, and, you know, as I, I tell my children all the time, to some degree, you know, particularly as a child, you can't control the feelings that arise in you, but those feelings aren't always reflective of objective reality. And, and that's what's sort of so flabbergasting to me in, in this, in this respect. You know, the physicians who practice in this field, in the childhood gender field currently, Almost all of them are my generation. We, you know, we went to the same types of Western medical schools. We got the same types of training. I, I can tell you, Bruce, nowhere, I remember my training well, and nowhere in my training was it taught that sex is malleable. And, you know, somehow over the years, you know, my contemporaries, my colleagues have come up with the notion that, uh, that it is and that it, it's appropriate uh, somehow to take what um, this child is telling you about how they feel and rather than helping them analyze those feelings, realize, hey, what may be flawed or what may, you know, what may be accurate about those feelings, and helping them come to some degree of contentment with who they are, they've taken the opposite tack and said that, hey, we, you know, okay, these feelings must be real. They must be reflective of, not only real, but reflective of reality, and we need to alter your body to, to match those. Dr. Roy Essig is our guest. Uh, he has penned a column on foxnews.com. As a doctor and a dad, I'm ashamed by how horribly my field mistreats kids with gender-affirming therapy, therapies. And I would think, Roy, that if somebody's going to make a switch away from what they've been trained to do as a physician, that requires medical evidence, that requires you know case studies that aren't stacked one way or the other. What's the medical evidence for hormone therapy or for more you know radical treatments like changing the genitalia of a boy or girl to the opposite sex? I guess I would say, you know, to touch back on your first question, what's, what's the reaction to, to my to my op-ed? You know, the one uh, criticism I have gotten from, you know, from a few people thus far is that I'm, you know, I'm a pulmonologist and a sleep physician. I'm not a psychiatrist or a pediatric endocrinologist. But what I will say is you don't have to be a psychiatrist or a pediatric endocrinologist to be able to look at the data and assess its quality. All, all you have to do is have some working knowledge of how to assess quality of medical data and whether a study is well-designed methodologically and what, whether the results from that study are valid or not. And any physician or research scientist who's trained in the Western world has the ability to do that. And so you have to have that and then just a willingness to sit down and look dispassionately at the data that's used as the underpinnings for this kind of treatment. And when you do that, you realize that that data is extremely poor. Much of it has been cherry-picked. Studies that support the the treatment that these practitioners want to provide have been highlighted, whereas studies that don't support that have been ignored. Even the studies that have, that get proffered as evidence for you know, for this kind of treatment, the results have either been many times misrepresented or overinflated. And and you know, in a larger sense too, as I as I point out in my column, when we're talking about any sort of medical treatment, the onus is on those who are advocating for such treatment to demonstrate that it's not only effective, but that it's safe. Um, the onus is not on the rest of us to basically disprove that the, that the treatment works. I mean, it, medicine doesn't work that way, and it shouldn't work that way. I mean, if it did work that way, then basically all of our patients every day would be unwitting research subjects in, you know, in an approved research study. So, so again, yeah, and when I when I look at the data, that data is very poor. And many other physicians who've analyzed that data feel that way. As some of your listeners may be aware, the American Academy of Pediatrics is currently having an internal battle over this. 
uh, where the you know the leadership who uh, helps come up with practice guidelines are advocating this kind of therapy, but a significant group of pediatricians who are part of the American Academy uh, don't think that's appropriate. And and so there are lots of physicians out there who um, who look at the data and come to the same conclusions I have. Dr. Roy Essig is our guest. Read his column on foxnews.com about the error of gender-affirming therapies and uh, reversing sex for uh, children with the surgeries. I would think anytime you're going to engage in a radical treatment like this, whether it's puberty blockers, whether it's surgery, uh, as a physician, you would want to share with your patient and with, in this case, the parents of oftentimes minors, what the risks are and if there are radical risks and can those risks be reversed. I hear all the time that if you give puberty blockers for a kid, well, you know, you can cease the treatment and everything will be fine. You go back to the way you were before. You touch on this in your column. What are the long-term consequences of this kind of treatment? What have we seen? What do we know? Yeah, you know, and that's exactly the problem, Bruce, is that in, in many respects, we don't know. With regards to puberty blockers, you're correct in that the, the mantra that gets given is that, okay, this is a reversible treatment. You know, we're just pausing puberty, and if we stop it, puberty will continue normally. But we really don't know that in this group of people. Now, puberty blockers have been used for, for many decades um, in uh, children who have a, a fairly rare uh, disorder called precocious puberty, uh, where they start to go through puberty very, very early, like early grade school age, to prevent that. And then until puberty is, is age appropriate, and then it stops and the, uh, puberty is allowed to progress. But we really don't have any data about what happens when you use puberty blockers to block normal puberty, to block normally time puberty as, as is what occurs in the children who uh, who were treated uh, for gender dysphoria in this way. Now, with regards to what are called cross-sex hormones, basically giving testosterone or similar hormones to girls or uh, estrogen and, and other feminine hormones to boys, we do. We also don't know that that's safe. Yeah, there is evidence out there to suggest that there are long-term effects, uh, long-term potential, long-term side effects from this that involve both bone health and cardiovascular health, and also with regards to fertility. In fact, it, you know, in children who get cross-sex hormones, uh, infertility is is more or less expected to, to a large degree. And so, again, in the absence of of good data supporting that um, that these things are safe in that specific population of children. And with some data out there that suggests that they're not, it's really hard to justify just by treating kids with those things. Roy, I appreciate your perspective on this so much. I appreciate your heart on it and, and particularly your courage. I know it's not easy to take this stand. It's much easier to melt into the woodwork, and um, but we're called to stand, and you're doing that. And uh, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate not only your courage but your perspective on this, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Great. Thanks for having me, Bruce. I appreciate it. Again, Roy's op-ed is entitled, As a Doctor and Dad, I Am Ashamed by How Horribly My Field Mistreats Kids with Gender-Affirming Therapies. You'll find it on foxnews.com, and I will also put it on our Hooli Show Facebook page, so you can access it there. And I'd encourage you to share it with your friends, and I'd encourage you to become versed in the arguments that he makes, because there is a logical argument, a very stout, robust, logical argument against this nonsense that uh, people are using, doctors are using, caregivers, those who have sworn to do no harm, are using to damage our kids medically and psychologically, both in the short term and in the long term. And I'm going to talk about that more next here on The Bruce Hooley Show.
So I will post on the Hooli Show Facebook page the link to the story, the op-ed that Dr. Roy Essig has penned on foxnews.com. And uh, this is the very best kind of doctor you can find, a Christian doctor, uh, someone who empathizes with, he talked about your feelings. It's important, he said, not a doctor who dismisses your feelings. Important to listen to your feelings and try to understand your feelings, but then to apply their education, their logic, the data of proven scientific experiments to your feelings to get you through situations where you have magnified a feeling into something that is not applicable to your situation. Unfortunately, we do not have uh, such reasoned thinkers at the Biden administration. We have ideologues at the Biden administration. We have people who are so addicted to power that they are willing to do anything, including sacrificing things that have long been uh, pillars of the uh, American system. They will chop down those pillars in order to ingratiate themselves to what they perceive to be their power base. Uh, as I was talking to Dr. Essig, story came across Daily Wire. A major victory, colon, federal appeals court blocks Biden effort to force doctors to perform gender transition surgeries and abortions. That's right. The Biden administration was going to force doctors to perform gender transition surgeries and abortions. Doctors with an authentically held religious objection to aborting the life of an unborn child or to cutting off the healthy breast tissue of a young girl or of mutilating a boy's genitalia. They were going to force them to do this. The Biden administration went to court, went to court and sued to force doctors to do things that they authentically, according to their faith, according to their belief, according to their education, cannot do. You heard Dr. Essig say he remembers his training well, and at no point in his training at Princeton University and Ohio State University was sex considered malleable. This is a relatively recent phenomenon. I remember when it cropped up in the 1970s. I remember hearing about sex change surgery in the 1970s. And then it went away because it was found to be completely nuts to do that, that you really had to have a mental illness to have that done. So this particular court case, three-judge panel, U.S. Court of Appeals, Fifth Circuit, released a unanimous decision in the case of the Franciscan Alliance versus, <laughs> it's a, it's just wrong that this guy even has this title. The case was against Xavier Becerra, the Health and Human Services Secretary. He's the, he's the Health and Human Services Secretary, and he is a demonic person who has done evil things in a similar role in the state of California, and now he's trying to do it nationally. They were trying to use Obamacare to require doctors to do these kinds of surgeries. And the court said no. The court said no. The Biden administration, through Xavier Becerra, through the Health and Human Services Department, issued new guidance in March that declared federally funded covered entities restricting an individual's ability to receive 
they call it medically necessary care. An abortion is not necessary, okay? Now, don't bring me one or two cases, life of the mother. A generalization is that abortion is not necessary. They term these surgeries medically necessary care includes gender-affirming care. So you're the patient. You get to make the diagnosis. Solely on the basis of their sex assigned at birth or gender violates Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act. So they were saying if you go to a doctor and you say, I was born a man, I am a woman, if the doctor does not affirm your diagnosis of yourself, apart from any medical expertise, apart from any data, if the doctor does not affirm that and does not give you the treatment you want, up to and including mutilating your biology, then they are violating federal law. That is the Biden administration's perspective. And this was a Franciscan entity that was suing, so a religious entity. So Dr. Essig has eloquently given you the uh, medical, educational, and logical argument against gender-affirming care. Let me give you the uh, religious objection to gender-affirming care. Uh, One of the major misnomers out there among people who are not people of faith is that being a person of faith is a restrictive way to live. When, in fact, it is not a restrictive way to live. It is a liberating way to live. Because when you operate under the umbrella that God has the ultimate authority in your life, when you submit to that, then there is order and there is comfort in knowing that the same God who provided his son as a way for you to reconcile yourself to him, to be viewed as acceptable in his sight because your sins have been forgiven. Well, that is freeing to know that It's not about your own behavior. So without that submission to God's ultimate authority and to the long-established norms that he has set in place and set in the hearts of men, um, without that, there's chaos. Look, Just look around our society. If you drive downtown Columbus, you have the expectation you're going to go to dinner and you get carjacked, that is a violation of your expectation. That is a violation of the norm. That is chaos. If you take an aspirin that somebody handed you because you have a headache, and you expect it to make your headache go away, and in fact it is laced with fentanyl, and you die of an accidental overdose, that is chaos. That is not order. Well, the ultimate rejection of order, the ultimate rejection of norms, is the transgender movement, because it rejects God's authority when he ordained your sex at birth, and when he established at birth a purpose for your life. The Bible is very, 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 very clear, crystal clear, on what will happen to those who harm children, who entice them into immorality, who would mutilate what God created them to be, physiologically or psychologically. This is the same presumptive evil that caused Satan to fall from being an angel to being the enemy of God. So you get to pick a side. Which one are you on? 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.